that you might be comfortable inviting your friends to. And it's uh, going to be a bit, bit gritty, to use uh, Sam's word. So it's going to be really exciting. We've got some posters out, six to seven. Uh, we'll have all sorts of things happening. The Church of Tomorrow starts in November. Hallelujah. So that will be, that'll be a lot of good fun. Absolutely a lot of good fun. And, so, and we actually have our special guest today, all the way from Jeffrey. Where's Jeffrey gone? Jeff has snuck into the church. This is a covert ops guy all the way from Afghanistan. So come, say, come bring greetings, Jeff. Hey, let's stand to our feet. These guys are amazing. Let's give them a welcome. They do incredible stuff. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> Actually brought you a stone from the Indus. From the Indus? Yeah. Oh, very good. That's where we baptise our people. Fantastic. We got I'll caught when they opened that. the gates and we nearly got washed away. I had to be carried out of there. Ooh. One time, yeah. Thanks for your prayers. Uh, no doubt you know about Malala, the little girl that got shot. Yeah. And uh, just continue to pray for her. She's in Birmingham getting better. And uh, she kind of represents the freedom of Pakistan. Yeah. And uh, will the Pakistani people stand up and actually do something about these people who say, you're with us or you're dead? Yeah. Uh, it's very exciting where we are. Never a dull moment. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, again, I was a day away and a block away from a couple of bombs. A couple of bombs went off again? Yeah, yeah. So, and your, uh, your wall fell over. Didn't your wall get pushed over wall, by, wall by a bomb recently? No, it was a freak storm. Freak storm? Yeah, we had a freak storm for an hour and had water coming from in sheets from the east and there's huge wind and the wall fell down. Now, pet tortoise managed to get away. Oh. <laughs> He's all right. He's all right. All, all the roses. Got Everybody killed. turn around right now and just wave to the kids upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you for praying. Continue to pray. Um, good yeah. things happening in Afghanistan. Um, I just talked to an Afghan here yesterday. They want to do a national conference wow. in Australia. He just came back from a, an international conference. Things are really happening in Europe and North America. And uh, there's a group of 90 in one European country, and they're all doing it all themselves. It's the time for the Afghans. So pray for that for the Pash uh, Pakistani uh, people as well, especially for our area, the Pashtuns, because yeah. it's still, you know, like that. Yeah, lots so to be done, isn't it? God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> I'm just going through to Melbourne. Going through to Melbourne. Yeah. It's a whirlwind trip. And um, Neil, would it be appropriate for you to share your story a little bit this morning without mentioning names or your organisation or anything like that? But it's a... What an incredible thing that God's done. Praise God. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to start just, uh, this has sprung on me. I didn't know I was doing this, but I'd just like to thank God for the privilege of suffering with him. Um, Jesus said, woe unto you if people speak well of you. Mm. Uh, and he also said, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, and great is their reward in heaven. Mm. So uh, I'm the winner here, whichever way it goes. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Um, but I've, I've been in a ministry, uh, a so-called Christian ministry, for 24 years. Um, I was called um, uh, from New Zealand. I was a Kiwi originally, and uh, I had a specific call from God to come to Perth. Uh, and he then led me into an organization, confirmed that's where I was meant to be. Uh, and my mission is to homeless youth, and uh, I believe that God's called me there to share the gospel with them uh, because I can introduce them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he can change them from yeah. the inside out. He can change their circumstances. And, and uh, uh, you know, whether you talk about religion and that, the fact that it's to visit the, the fatherless and the widow, um, which pure, uh, is pure religion, true and pure religion. Mm. And uh, I believe that God really, really does care for the homeless and he cares for the downcast. And uh, these are damaged children. Yeah. But uh, what's happened for me is that uh, I've come under great persecution. I was stood down from my position. Um, we have a lot of... Uh, even this is for witnessing the gospel yeah. in Australia in a Christian organization. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it claims that it is a Christian organization. Um, and it actually, its foundation statement or its mission statement is that uh, it exists, um, it says inspired by Jesus Christ, it exists to uh, meet human need and to spread the knowledge of the love of God. Mm. And, like uh, but in the midst of that, I've been condemned in that. I was stood down. Um, there's been a turnaround in that, and uh, I, have, I, I have been restored as in my position. But I, want, I, I just want to share with you, and I ask you to pray for me, mm. because it's not over uh, yet. I believe it's an Esther situation as far as the organization is concerned, um, and that uh, this can change the whole fabric of... Uh, uh, of the persecution within it towards the uh, the people that uh, know God, yeah, and um, but it's I've won a battle, but I think it's a warfare that's going on, um, and uh, there's some new stuff that's come, and uh, I, I'm facing the music as it were on Wednesday, so I just appreciate your prayers, um, and I love Jesus, eh? Hallelujah, <laughs> praise God, Gary. Let's just pray for Neil now. Just leave the congregation in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Perhaps just some believers just gather around Gary, but this has actually got national significance. You know, it's a fork in the road as to what you can do as a Christian organization. It's amazing. Jesus, we do love you, God. Father God, we are called to stand in the gap on behalf of our sisters and brothers in Christ. We are called to intercede between heaven and earth for our sisters and brothers in Christ. And Lord, we do that right now. We lift Neil up before your holy throne of grace. We stand in the gap on his behalf. Yes, we, intercede, we intercede on his behalf, Father God. Yes, Lord, we ask for your will to be done in this situation, Lord. Whatever that looks like, whatever that may be, Lord, bless him and his family. Strengthen him. Yes. Strengthen his inner man. Strengthen his spirit man, Father God, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Lift him up. Restore him. Father God, I pray your word does say that if we open our mouth, you will put the words in it. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it, your word says. Yes. So, Father God, I pray that you would give him wisdom and knowledge as to how he is to act, Father God, that he would be as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove, mm. that he would not cause offence, but, Lord, that he would acknowledge you in every part of his situation. And yes. I believe with all my heart 
then that you will acknowledge him and help him. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Fantastic. Welcome to church. Uh, we have been uh, working on an uh, expositional study of the first book of Corinthians. And uh, last week we started to dive into chapter 12. And this thing about being led of the Holy Spirit. And I've just paused to drill down a little bit deeper in terms of our understanding of the text because experientially you actually have to go on a bit of a journey. Some of the things that Paul now teaches about assumes that you are now moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and what you now need is some teaching or ordering as to how that's done appropriate. So his assumption is that the people at Corinth are saved. Amen. They've come to a place where they've placed their personal faith in Jesus Christ to become born again of the Spirit of God. It's also assumed that they are full of the Holy Spirit because they're moving in the gifts. So these are the background assumptions that takes place. So in chapter 12, verse 1, now about spiritual gifts, the word gifts is not in the original. It's about spiritual matters, spiritual people, about spiritual things. Brothers and sisters, every time we see the word brothers in scriptures, it includes the sisters. Aren't you glad the sisters are included? Oh, I am. <laughs> um, I do not want you to be ignorant. Uh, the language could say stupid, uh, uneducated. The word is ignoramus. Um, you know, when you were pagan, so before you come to Christ, what are you? Uh, that's not nice, is it? You know, you're, you're either one or the other, aren't you? Before you know that when you were pagan, somehow or another, you were influenced, say influenced, and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And it's about quarter past, so I have about 15 minutes, and that's okay. That's about okay. Just means I'll clip a little bit what I'm trying to do today. Um, one of the things that we don't realize when we pick up the text of the Bible today is that we don't know here in Armadale on the 20th of October 2012 what they knew back there in 30 BC or probably about 60, BC, uh, 60 AD when they received this letter. And one of the things that we don't know that they know is that if you were in Corinth, you actually are on the side of basically the ocean. It's drifted a bit inland these days because of geographical changes. But if you went up to the Acropolis where they had this uh, temple, which uh, was set aside for temple prostitution, and you looked across the ocean, you would see across the bay to a place called Delphi. So as West Australians, we can relate to that a little bit because on a clear day, you can see rottenness. Yep, not a problem at all. Anybody drives down our beautiful coastline, you look out there, there's Garden Island, there's Rottnest. So every Corinthian knows that just across the isthmus is this place called Delphi. And Delphi was the center of the Greek worship at that particular time in the world. It was the most critical place. The Greeks thought that Delphi was actually the place of the belly button of the earth, the place of creation. 
It was a little bit off the track. If you were to go to Athens today, it would still take you four to five hours to get there by a pretty rickety bus. Then you've got to climb up these hills. It would have been quite a major thing to get to Delphi in those days. And if you were to go today, you would see the ruins of uh, what used to house the Oracle of Delphi. Say Oracle. So the Oracle of Delphi. Now, this person, although because it existed for almost a thousand years, the Delphi of Oracle was in existence for, this individual is generally a female. Say female. A female that would have loose hair. Remember our talk on veils and head coverings and things? She would have loose, uncovered hair, and she would be used to find out the will of the gods. And so the Greeks had this view that the gods were omniscient. They knew everything. So before you wanted to go to war, before you wanted to buy your stock markets, before you wanted to do something, you wanted to consult the gods. There were local prophets and the local priests, but the prophets tend to be a bit unreliable. Whereas the Delphi of Oracle is considered to be your best bet in terms of hearing the divine will of the gods. And so literally for hundreds of years, uh, people would go to consult the Oracle of Delphi. And she could only be consulted on one day of a month at a particular time and people would have to go up there and then they'd have to work out whether God was in or not. They thought that Apollo would talk to her. And the reason, and if Apollo wasn't going to talk to her, they had a way of testing that. What they would do is they'd bring a goat up to the temple and they'd pour water on the goat. And if the goat responded to the water by, then the God was in. But there's all these people queued up with their money with their money and their offerings, you see. So if the first bucket of water didn't get the goat to go, they'd usually put another bucket of water on it. And on one occasion, almost drown the goat. They really wanted to get the God in, you see. And so that was the, that was the thing that so it said. Then they would go in. And now there's different things. I've got videos and things, but time won't allow me to show this. But one of the things that they seem to think, that the Delphi of Oracle would sit upon a tripod and that she would breathe these fumes from a fissure in the earth. It seems that the temple which she was in, the, the, the Articon that she was in, had a, a fissure underneath it that would release carbon monoxide gases. And so literally she would enter into an hallucinative state. And in this hallucinative state, people would come and ask her a question. And then she would then speak in tongues. Quite important. She would speak in a glossolalia, the Greek word for an unknown language. And while she spoke in an unknown language, there would be a priest alongside that would actually be writing down an interpretation of what she was saying. And this was happening just across the road. And it's world famous. And so uh, there's been some interesting uh, records. We have about 600 of the oracles left. Uh, from the Delphi of Oracle over successive generations. But one very famous was, was King Croesus. He was a king of Lydia, and he went to go and consult the Oracle because he was feeling like he wanted to invade a neighboring country, and the country and him had been having friction for many years. So he went to the Oracle, the Delphi Oracle, and uh, she's high as a kite. That's what we think that's going on. So she's hallucinating. She speaks in an unknown tongue. She gets the interpretation. But the question of King Croesus was this. Shall I go to war? 
I think it's a good, I mean, if you get advice on that from God, it'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? I was always um, quite interested that when, uh, we, we forget now, but when uh, we sent the troops into Papua New Guinea, uh, when the, um, sorry, to East Timor, when the Australian government sent peacekeepers into East Timor, John Howard, the existing Prime Minister, called together the Church of Jesus Christ unofficially and said, will you pray? Because if we get this wrong, there'll be just body bags and everybody loses. And the church prayed and the outcome in East Timor has been pretty good. So it's a good thing to consult God before you go to war. So King Crestus actually came in and says, uh, should I go to war? And the Delphi, she goes, whatever, she says these things. The priest writes it down. And the interpretation is, if you go to war, a great empire will fall. So he goes to war and loses. And the great empire falls. Now, it's interesting because when you look at the Delphi Oracle, most of the answers that the Delphi Oracle get, I would say a bit like horoscopes. They can be interpreted many ways. Many ways. And as we move forward into trying to develop and move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we really want to develop is that we don't want spiritual horoscopes in church. You know, we don't want things that are so airy-fairy that there's no real opportunity for it to be the clear demonstration of the supernatural power of God. You know, if you go to war, a great empire, well, she's going to win either way, isn't she? And sometimes even in church life, particularly when the prophetic starts to move, there are words of knowledge, then we get things that are not clear. That's not honoring to God. So when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, now concerning spiritual issues, guys, I don't want you to be ignorant because you know when you were pagans, you were led astray to serve mute idols. He's actually talking into a context that they're very familiar with. Now in the Western world today, for you to hear someone speak in an unknown tongue might freak you out. Probably not for a lot of people in this church, but for some people would actually get you quite nervous. Yet in the ancient world where Paul was writing to the Corinthians, it was standard fare. It was happening all the time. It was happening just across the road and people paid money for that. So what Paul's trying to do is say this. is okay. Now when it comes to the supernatural, the first thing you need to know is it's real. It's real. It's real. I find it fascinating in our world whilst we still actually don't have a lot of place for God and the supernatural. People want to go off and watch horror movies like they've never done before. You know, they'll believe in horror movies uh, and they want to get the scare and the frost, but they don't want to accept the fact that there's the supernatural. And the supernatural is real. And when we start to move in the gifts, certain things will begin to happen and we'll need to actually ask God to help us to know when is it God doing it and when is it the devil doing it? Because no one can speak uh, motivated by the Holy Spirit saying that Jesus is Lord except by the fact they're being motivated by God. Neither can they say Jesus be a curse unless it's coming from the other spirit. Now, I think it's critical to understand that when Paul says those words, he's not talking about the actual words. I think the words are important. If someone got up in today in the middle of the church service and Jesus is cursed, yes, we, we've got some deacons that will 
deacon you out. <laughs> we don't think that's a good thing. But I think what's more important is sometimes you've got to listen to what's underneath what's being said because it can sound right, but it's not actually exalting the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm really trying to help you here today. There are some prophecies that come out, some supernatural manifestations that aren't saying Jesus is Lord, but saying the preacher is Lord, saying the movement is Lord, saying a particular style is Lord. It's actually not elevating Jesus Christ. And there are some times when it comes out, what you're actually doing, you've got people cursing the church of Jesus Christ. Hey, God loves the church. God, Jesus, died for the church. He lives for the church and today he's making permanent intercession for the sake of this church that's going to rise up to be a bride without spot and without blemish. Can you say amen? amen. And so as we move, what we have to sort of move is, is actually understand that as we move through the Spirit to know that Paul is teaching from those that have some knowledge already of what it is to be led by the Spirit. He's talking about how to come under influence. So if you've had involvement in the occult, I hope you haven't, but if you have, then you will know what it's like to come under the influence of the occult. Or if you want to know what drugs are, you'll understand what coming under the influence is. Anybody ever done drugs? I'm not talking about Panadol. <laughs> now, the Delphi Oracle, she contacted the spirit world through drugs. And uh, Galatians chapter 5 says that one of the works of the flesh is the taking sorcery. And the word sorcery there is the word for drugs. The quickest way to access the spirit world is through the taking of drugs. And so what the Bible's saying to us is please don't do it the wrong way. Do it the right way. The wrong way is to get under the influence of alcohol, of drugs, of depression, oppression, possession, negative spirits, whatever that might be. That's the wrong way to get under the influence. God wants us to get under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he's given us a way to do that. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Those who speak to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart, it puts you in the right place to be under the right influence. Our church is getting better at that. Hallelujah. We had a good flow this morning. There's something of the anointing beginning to actually just trickle through our church because more and more of us are learning what it is to actually worship and praise God and to get out of ourselves and into God. If you come to church, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone, I'm just trying to make it very obvious. If you come to church and you don't move for the whole service and you don't open up your mouth, and you don't engage what's going on, effectively, you're sitting outside the service. You're staying in a human posture to what's going on. Well, that, is that fair to say that? You know, you're not engaged. And so the first thing you've got to do is move out of the body realm into the soul realm. The soul realm is when you start to get something happening in here. There may be people here that have been so damaged and hurt by church or life, or whatever, is that nothing ever happens in here. And your first step of healing is to actually get something happening here, to get maybe a little tear to go, maybe a little smile to go, but to get your soul moving. And so what works for me is if I don't do anything at all, I just stay in the physical realm. 
if I start to sing and praise, raise my hands, you know, this might surprise you. Sometimes I don't feel like raising my hands. Sometimes I don't feel like shouting. Sometimes I don't feel like moving around. But as I do that, my soul gets engaged. And all of a sudden, I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm not doing it because it's just a sacrifice. I'm actually doing it now because I actually like this. And then the next step is where you actually get out of yourself. You enter into what we call ecstasis, the ability to stand outside of yourself and touch God. God seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in reality and spirit. So here's the journey, guys. We actually want to let God lead us and move. And I just thank God for the fact that there's a bit of a flow going on in our church. It's wonderful. But as we move on into this passage, we go on to say to one is given a word of knowledge, to one is given a word of wisdom, to another is given a word of faith, the gift of faith, the gift of miracles, there's the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then it says in verse 10 from memory, to everyone is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. To, what's it say? To everyone is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. If you believe the Bible, anybody believe the Bible here today? If you believe the Bible, when you came to church today, God gave you the ability to manifest the life in the Spirit. You had that gift here today. That doesn't mean everybody does everything, but what it means is something of God will show on your life. Something of God will show. That's the manifestation of God. It's the shining out. It's the display of God. And you know, there's just something about coming into an assembly where people's hands are raised and maybe there's just that look of bliss and, or there might be a tear coming down the cheek or there might be a smile or there might be breakthrough. There could be someone screaming out, I've got victory. When people see that, they think something's happening. God's doing something in the house. I can see it on the people. But when God sees people in church going... like the poor Lutheran guy that went to the church service I told you last week. It took him three hours to work out he'd gone to a funeral service by mistake. That's sad, isn't it? Sad. Took him three hours to figure it out. No one's moving. A lot of people are crying. That's what God wants to do. He wants to actually bring his church to a place of maturity that when we gather together corporately, each one, everyone has the ability to manifest Something supernatural in their life. That could be exciting. That could be wonderful. We could see you being persecuted just like Neil is. (laughs) We could see all sorts of incredible things happening. Miracles, deliverance, breakthrough, habits falling off, people being saved. Wouldn't that be a good thing to see? Fantastic. The first step is you need to get saved though. And you might say, Pastor Mike, how? Oh, thank you, Peter. He's a good learner. How? This is how you come to faith. First of all, you've got to be honest. You actually have to be honest. How's your life doing? 
Are you messing up? If you die, do you have any confidence what's going to happen to you after you die? Do you know if there's a place called heaven? You actually first have to be honest with yourself. God cannot help you if you think everything's okay and nothing can be done. First step is honesty, don't you? I have messed up. I've been selfish. I've hurt myself and I've hurt others. The Bible calls that sin. I know sin's not a very popular word these days, but we have to be honest. God, I need help. Then you've got to be open to the fact that uh, God has come. He so loves the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You've got to be open to the fact there's a God who loves you. And he's not mad with you. He's actually on your side. And he's done everything he can to win you back to himself. You've got to be open to the good news. We call it gospel, but it's good news. He's made a way for you to come back to himself. The Father has forgiven. All is forgiven. Just come home. You've got to be open to that. And then finally, you've got to be willing. You've got to be willing to say, God, I know that I've messed up. I'm open to the reality that you want to change that for me. And now I'm willing to say, yes, you be the master of my life. You take control of my life. I'll give up self-control and I'll yield it to God control. And then God will come in a flash and you'll become born again by the spirit of the living God. To get to heaven, you've got to be born twice. The first time you get to be here, Gus, don't you? You've been born once. The next important thing is to be born the second time, which is something on the inside comes alive and your spirit comes alive to God. And so I just ask everybody just to bow your head, just a moment of privacy. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, if you've not taken that first step to be honest and to be open and to be willing, maybe this is the first time you've even come to a church like this. Maybe this is the very first time you've ever heard an invitation to actually come and establish a relationship with your God and Father in heaven. Most of us have done this in this room. You'd be, you'd be surprised at the stories. We have, we have former homosexuals. We have former drug addicts. We have former prostitutes. We have alcoholics. We have incredible stories in this house of where God has come and changed our lives. Maybe today, today is your opportunity. If you'd like me to pray for you, we are not going to embarrass you. We're not going to bring you out the front. All we want to do is give you the offer of receiving the gift of eternal life. If that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. I'm going to ask you to do something really gutsy, and that's just place your hand straight up in the air. I'll see it. I'll put it down. God bless you. Put it, thank you. God bless you. Young man's put his hand up. Someone else want to actually join this young man this morning while we pray? Looking, looking, looking. Okay, let's stand together and we're just going to pray. We'll pray together, so if you can all repeat after me. Dear Father, I'm sorry for the things I've done, but I know that you, uh, I know that you can make it all better. I invite you to come into my life, to wash me clean, and to, uh, to become the Lord of my life. I open up my heart to receive you as my Lord and God and the power to live a life that's pleasing to you. And I thank you now that I'm now a child of God. 
Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Awesome. So we'd love to give this young man a uh, Bible later and just something to help you with. So fantastic. Awesome. So now pray for me this week. I am standing to be the state president for our Assemblies of God movement in this state. Well, let me just say, I really want God's will to be done. And um, so I, I know if, uh, if I am the successful candidate, God will anoint me and gift me and give me the strength because God doesn't get you to do something. He doesn't give you the ability to do. But it's better that God's will be done. Yeah? So if you could pray for me over the week, that would be a great thing to do. So let's have the band up and sing a really happy song. It's good what Karen shared today. Morning stops today, okay? No more morning. Throw those garments off. Yes, yes. How did you guess? <laughs> How did you guess? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we do have a prayer team here, an encounter team. It's after the service. We actually bring some chairs out the front. And uh, if you have need for prayer in your life, some focused attention... We've got a good group of people here that uh, are trained and equipped. So we invite you down to the front after the end of the service to pray. But we will celebrate. Stay for tea and coffee and fellowship. Good to see you. Cafes open. Food's up. Yeah.
wash my sin away Oh, happy day, happy day I'll never be the same Oh, happy day, happy day You wash my sin away Oh, happy day, happy day from playing squash for about 300 years. I have bad hips from playing squash for about 200 years. And I'm rhythm impaired. I have no idea when the up is up and the down is down. And also, sometimes when I jump up, my stomach is going in the opposite direction. Do you know how disconcerting that is? Parts of my body are going up, parts of my body are going down. They call it dancing. 